0: welcome to the community church podcast this is the first week of our new series who do you say i am this message comes from matthew 16 verses 13 through 20. if you'd like to take notes there's a link for that in the show notes thanks for joining us and without further ado here's pastor mike we're looking at kind of this huge section in matthew the central section um, probably one of the most central passages in the whole gospel one of you know one of the best known Uh, So if you have a Bible with me, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13 through verse 20. And, uh, And if you don't have one, there's on page 822 of the Bible that's there in front of you. But we always encourage you to open up your Bible, keep your Bible open, so you could see where the points of the message always come from. But let me begin by reading this passage we're gonna look at this morning. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others said Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I shall build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. God bless the reading of this word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we'd have to be here and Father, to be able to come and to study this passage this morning. Father, I thank you for the way that you've just encouraged me and challenged me, taught me through this passage and for the great truths that are here. And Father, I pray that your spirit would now speak through me and in spite of me. Father, help each one of us to have hearts that are open to what your spirit may say to us this morning. I pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you ever had a discussion with someone where you're talking to them and you begin to wonder, you know, just who is this I'm talking to? you know, suddenly you're thinking, maybe they're not the person that I assumed that they were. Or have you ever been in a discussion where someone has flat out asked you, do you know who I am? Kind of asking in such a way that there is a significance to the answer. And sometimes when we're asked that, there is a significant answer, significant importance. And sometimes if we don't know the answer, it can lead to significant embarrassment. You know, I'm reminded of the, the lady who came to church a little late one Sunday, and, and she comes in, and there's an usher there by the door, and he says, well, I'm a little late. Can you get me a seat down toward the front? And the usher said, well, I can, but I wouldn't recommend it. You know, you've got to understand, you know, our pastor, he can come a little long. He could be a little boring. He's been known to put some people to sleep. And if you're up in the front and you go to sleep, it could be embarrassing. And the little lady stood up and says, young man, do you know who I am? He said, no. She says, I'm the pastor's mother and he says oh man i'm embarrassed and he looks down and, and and then he kind of looks up and says ma'am can i ask you a question yeah I said, do you know who i am no i don't thank god and he rushed toward the back door you know just <laughs> and and you look at that and you say well, that's humorous but but in a sense what we're looking at here today is jesus is looking at his disciples and saying do you know who i am and that's a really important question and, and we're going to see it's literally at the center of the Gospel of Matthew, not only in the sense that it's kind of like right in the middle of, of you know, as far as, uh, you know, chapter 16, but it's at the center of the message and, and really the center of each one of our lives, that, that our lives hinge on our answer to that question. What is the central turning point, in a sense, we could say, of Matthew's Gospel? Um, and what we see here is that up until now, Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been teaching. He's been drawing all these crowds. And there's kind of this question that is being asked throughout. It's like, who is this? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And, and in this passage, we're going to see that there's finally a clear answer to that question. And at this point, after, everything after this, we're going to see now the Gospel of Matthew is saying, if Jesus is indeed who he claims to be, what should that mean to you? How should that change your life? So we're starting our study in verse 13 here, and we saw that, we, uh, that Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi. And, and I think there's an importance that we're told that it happened in this place, Caesarea Philippi. We don't really know much about that, but, but part of the significance is that nowhere in any of the gospels does Jesus ever go here except this one time. And and Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the story, and they all specifically tell us that this is exactly where it happened. And so, what is the significance? Well, a little background here. It's a, it was actually a Roman city, kind of just outside of the borders of, of, um, of Israel. It was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And I'll even kind of put a map up here to kind of explain it. So if you think of in Jesus' time you had Judea. And, and in Judea, you know, that's where Jerusalem was down here, and you had uh, you know, probably the bigger part of Israel. You had Galilee, Nazareth is here, Capernaum, a lot of, probably a lot of Jesus' ministry was more in Galilee. And, and then if you look up in this pink area up here, this isn't part of Israel. This is part of the you know, ter- territory of King Philip, and, and it was generally a, a, a considered a Gentile area. And way up here, you see this Caesarea Philippi, and and this was the city it was about again 25 miles north it was not part of israel and there are certain things that we know about it actually you can't read this but it says Pineus, because it actually had a different name it had only been renamed about 10 15 years before this the city had always been known as Pineus, and it was named after the greek god pan that's where the name came from and uh and so you had You had not only there, you had this big uh, temple there, and it was probably the center of the worship of the Greek god Pan. And there were all kinds of things that were built there. Now, the history was is that uh, about 20, 25 years before this, Caesar gave it to King uh, King Herod. And then King Herod then gave it to his son, Philip, who eventually took over that section of Herod's reign. And so then Philip said, okay, I'm going to do the ultimate political move. Uh, I realized that my bread's buttered with Caesar. So he then built a temple to Caesar Augustus. And it was this huge city or temple that it talked about even the idea that that Caesar was divine, the son of the divine. He was worthy of worship, to be worshiped. And he not only did that, but then he renamed the city Caesarea or Caesar Philippi after himself. So it was a split name. And, And the city was built on this huge rock cliff and, uh, and right there in the rock cliff, you had all these temples. And this is, isn't a it didn't turn out that well in the city here, but you kind of get the idea. You know, you have this huge rock cliff. You have this shrine to Caesar that he had just built. You had this shrine to Pan that had been there for an, for an extended period of time, was the center of that worship. You had a te- huge temple to Zeus. You had this temple to the, you know, some other gods. And so you have this huge rock cliff with all these temples. It was almost kind of like the, uh, you know, the, you know go and you've got a strip mall of, of worship here. And that's what it's known for. Now what's significant is that Jesus takes his disciples to this city. It was out of the way, he had never gone there, and he goes to this city and he asks them this question. He looks at them and he says, okay, who do people say that I am? And, uh, and so they start and they say, well, um, you know, they're, they're looking at the rock, rock face, they're looking at all the spiritual statements about, you know, different people claiming to be God and worship, and, and he asked this question. They come back, and we read in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And basically, they're saying, you know, Jesus, well, the word on the street is that you're definitely from God, that you have a message from God for his people. And, and they think that you've come in the spirit of one of these previous prophets. Now, I want you to notice that all their answers were positive. You know, they were positive about, well, we're really not sure, but... Um, Now, think about it. In our day and age, I think if I were to go ask people, what do you think of Jesus? I think most people would give a generally positive answer. They would say something like, well, he's a really good man. Well, he's a good teacher. He's a good moral teacher. He's a great example. Some might even say a prophet. Many would give a positive answer that would stop well short of, he's God. Uh, Now, here's what you need to realize when we look at that the problem with that answer is it's an impossible answer to hold to you cannot say that jesus was a good man a good good world teacher a good example who wasn't god simply for the reason that he claimed to be god and he not only claimed to be god but he claimed that he called people to follow him to basically you know give up their whole life and follow him because of who he was now we understand this in even our experience and so let's say if there was somebody out there that you heard about, and you said, boy, this guy's supposed to be a really different, uh, uh, great communicator, a great speaker, and, and, boy, he's got a following. And then you go to hear him, and his whole message is, I want you to know that I am God, that I am divine, that you should give up you know, everything in your life, and that you should follow me. Now, what do you think of that person? He's not a great moral teacher. I mean, he's either a con man who's out there you know, selling something to get power, or he's a madman. Now, numerous people have made this point, but probably the most famous of that is C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. And uh, in Mere Christianity, listen to what he said. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not continue with any patriotic, patriotic nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend to. And when we look at this, you know, um, you know he's calling out this, what most people, they wanna see Jesus as, as a good person, not to be worshiped, but that's not an option. And, and when you think about it logically, we really only have three logical options. Number one, he's a liar, he's a con man, he's you know, a, a terrible person that was out there trying to manipulate people, trying to gain power for himself, and telling what he knew to be a lie, wrecking people's lives. Or we have to reject him as a lunatic. You know, as is, is, is Lewis says, you know, he's, he's at the level of someone who thinks he's a poached egg that he is just a normal person who thinks that he is God, in which case he's totally crazy, and we should reject him as crazy, or the only other option is that we receive him and submit to him as our Lord, that he recognize that he is who he claimed to be. Now, Jesus, I think, here is trying to drive his disciples and us to this kind of challenge of saying, who do you say that I am? And you only have so many options. Because when he comes and he asks, who do other people say that I am? They give an answer. And then he goes in verse 15 and says, but who do you say that I am? And and that's the question that we each have to ask. And it's dealing with the very foundation of our lives. We have to answer it ourselves. It's not just enough to say, you know, I've heard this about Jesus or or, or other people think this. It's, well, who do you say that I am? And what we're going to see in the coming weeks is is what the verses after this. It's not only this foundational question, but literally everything in our life will change based on that answer. See, he's not just asking, what do you think about me? A lot of times when you think about belief, we think about thought and and intellectual assent. And he's not saying, no, it's not what you think, it's it's who am I to you? Because there's a big difference between just what you think and who am I to you. I, I can think, believe mentally that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is the Son of God, But at the same time, I can show that I really don't believe it. Because my life looks like I'm not surrendering to him in any way. The fact is is that I don't believe it in my actions. It's not real to me in my heart. And Jesus is asking this practical question. What, not what do you think, who am I to you? What is your relationship with me? When he asked them as a group, and and then we see uh, Simon Peter step up and and he speaks for the group and he gives an answer and to everyone's surprise he got it right this time he doesn't usually get it right but this time he gets it right and he replies you are the christ the son of the living god and he says basically you know you are more than a prophet you aren't just someone who has the spirit of some previous prophet you are unlike anyone who has come before you are sent by god you are the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years the messiah that's coming to bring the kingdom of god the ruling healing power of god that is coming to uh, bring bro- bro- uh, brokenness and heal brokenness in our world. And you're not only that, you're, you're actually one of the kind. You're son of, the son of God himself. And after Simon Peter's response in verse 17, we're told that Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. He says, you're right. You know, you've come up with the right answer, but it's not that you're smart enough. You didn't figure this out. Basically, you had divine help. My, my Father helped you see this. And then in verse 18, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, in this, he talks about, on this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about this foundational rock. And the obvious question is, what is that foundational rock? What is the foundation of the church? I will tell you, this is a passage that, has confused people, and some different denominations have taught some different things. Uh, one of the common mistakes that people make is they look at this and they say, well, he calls Peter Rock, Peter's name. That means rock. And, uh, and so and we're going to see that it's not even a name. It's kind of a, a title that he's giving him. And people have interpreted that as Jesus saying, I tell you, you are Peter. You are a rock. And on the rock of your leadership, I'm going to build my church. In fact, that's where the Roman Catholic Church gets its whole doctrine of the popes. They basically say, well, Jesus is saying, okay, you're Peter and on you and on your spiritual descendants, there will always be a a leader, a chief apostle and, and that's gonna be the foundation of the church. Now, some might not even argue for popes, but they're going to say, "Still, it's the idea that God has established these leaders. We need we need rocks and leadership, and and that's going to be essential." Now, here's what I want you to realize: that's not what Jesus is teaching here. He is not teaching that the rock is some great leader. You know, too often, people think, "Okay, well, we need a great leader." And even evangelical churches, sometimes we can lift people up and say, well, here's the great leader, and this guy's building the church. And, and, and almost we look at it and we say, that's what we need. We need a guy like Peter. If we had a pastor like Peter, if we had a, a leader like Peter, well, God would you build this church. Have you ever thought that? You say, okay, we need a Peter, and, and we need a rock. What do we have? Well, we have a rybka. And uh, well, what does ribca mean? Well, Peter means stone. Well, rybka to brush up in your Polish, it's a Polish name. Rib is a combination, the rib is literally a uh, uh, Polish name for fish. Ka is a, is a suffix that means little. And so, we don't have a rock, we've got a little fish. <laughs> and you're thinking, oh man, that's the problem. We need a rock and fish get smooshed by rocks. I mean, that's like, well, what hope do we have? And, and we can feel that way, but here's what you need to realize any idea of saying what we need is a person is a misreading of the whole passage and because what jesus is saying here is peter you are a rock whom i will use but based on what you've understood here the foundation stone of your confession that's what i'm going to build the church on let's go back to again matthew 16 he says who do you say i am simon peter says you know you're the christ the son of the living god and jesus said you know blessed are you flesh and blood has not revealed this but my father is in heaven And then in verse 18, Jesus does something actually really strange. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Now, now the fact is, that wasn't his name. We're used to calling him Peter, but that was not his given name. His given name was Simon. And up until this time, no one ever called him Peter. His name was Simon. Simon. And so now Jesus is saying, hey, this is such a historical occasion that I want to mark it by giving you a new name. Your name has changed. I mean, how often do you change people's name, especially an adult? You don't just do this. And he says, okay, from now on, he was Simon, the son of Jonah. From now on, his new identity is Peter. Now it gets even a little stranger here. Because again, we think of Peter and we think of that as a name because we know a lot of Peters, right? What's interesting is that if you study both Greek and Roman literature, up until this time, Peter is never used as a name. It was not a name. Never, never was anyone called Peter. After this, people started to name their kids Peter, but never before this. It's a word. It word literally meant stone. And so you're looking at it and so say, well, we know we know like name Rocky, but Stone. I mean, that's not a name. And, and Jesus says, saying, okay, no, his name is Stone now. Everybody say hi to Stone. Let's call him Stone now. Now, in this, what we've got to realize is to use a word for rock. I'm, I'm going to get a little bit technical here. The, it's a Greek word. The, the Greek word is the word uh, petros. And it means rock or stone. And generally, when it, we talked about it, it was like a rock that was kind of what you would hold in your hand. It was something that you could pick up, that you could throw. And, um, and so he says, okay, here's, you know, you are Peter, you are stone. And on this rock, and here Jesus used a different word. It was kind of the same base, but it was a different uh, form of the same noun. Instead of petros, which means stone, he now used petra, which means this massive foundational rock, a cliff. It was, you know, the kind of huge rock slab that you would build a building on. It could even be referred to a mountain. And he looks at Peter and he says, from now on, you're going to be called stone. But on this immovable rock, I will, future reference, build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And he's saying, okay, you got the right answer, Peter. And and the right answer, I am the Christ. I am the promised Messiah, the son of the living God. And on that rock, on that foundation, I'm going to build my church. And what you need to realize, our foundation is the identity of Jesus Christ. It isn't Peter. It isn't some other leader. It's the foundation of Peter's confession. The foundational truth about who Jesus was and the fact that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the son of God. And Peter is a stone. He's a Petra or Petras, but Jesus Christ is our Petra, the foundation stone, the foundation that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, the living God, the second person, the Trinity, that came down from heaven and, and came and lived a perfect life to then die on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven, that he draws us into relationship with us, that he brings healing to the broken world. So what you've got to realize is when we look at this, the important thing isn't whether you've got, you know, a rock as a pastor, or even if you got the little fish, or, or if we feel like, man, as a church, we've got rocks, or if we just feel like, man, we're kind of soft, we don't really have what it takes. The important thing is, what is the foundation that we are built upon? For if we are built upon the true rock, the Petra, the foundation of Jesus Christ, then we can say, okay, then God is going to build us. He's, that's, that's the foundation that has already won the war, that he says, okay, I'm going to build the church, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. And so that is the foundation. It's the confession of who Jesus Christ is. It's the foundation of the church. And so, even when you look at this, you say, "Okay, how does that play out?" And that confession. Well, when you look at these words in verse 18, you say, "Petra, Petros." Clearly, they're different. We say they're different words, but clearly, there's a play on the words. And so, how do we understand that? Um, you know, they're very similar, obviously. And here's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, okay, Peter, you're not the rock upon which I'm gonna build the church, but you're connected to the rock. It's your confession, and because of your confession, now I'm going to use you as part of that rock to communicate it. And here's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, okay, Peter, I'm going to use you and the other apostles to actually take this confession, the truth about Jesus, and to write it down in the Bible, in the New Testament because God builds his church on the true confession of the Bible. In many ways, we can almost see this as a statement of prophecy, that it was Jesus saying, okay, you've got it right. Now, Peter, I'm gonna again use you and the other apostles, and and I'm gonna take that profession of what's true, the truth about who I am, about the ministry that I've done that, and on that, I'm gonna build my church. See, they're going to be as representatives representing properly who Jesus was and the right way of salvation. And so then when he even says, okay, you have the keys of the kingdom, he wasn't saying, well, well, you get to decide who's in heaven, who's not, who's locked out, who's locked in. No, what he's saying is you're going to establish, in a sense, the parameters. And the parameters that you're going to establish are an accurate representation of what I've established. So Jesus is saying, this is how we're saved. And they basically have taken that and they've carried that out and explained that. Now, I know some people that will say, you know, but you know, but Jesus, how do we know the real Jesus? You know, how do we know because he came and he didn't leave a book, he didn't leave the gospel, he didn't write anything. And here's what we need to realize is that Jesus Christ, yeah, he didn't write a gospel himself, but he authorized his disciples to write the New Testament. And he's here promising that, that with his help, with divine help, through the Holy Spirit, what they wrote would be accurate. It would be an explanation of who Jesus was and what he came to do. I know some people that will come even and say, well, I'm kind of okay with Jesus, but I don't like all the Bible. You know, I don't like this part, I don't like that part, and, and here's what we need to even to realize with that. Jesus tells us that he is behind the Bible, he is behind the apostles he is behind everything that is written so if we do if we're not uh we can't be okay with him if we reject his word the the foundation that he's authorized and it's not only the foundation of the church but it's also the foundation of our own lives individually you know it's interesting if we look at this we see that he's saying personally how do we take the bible and let's keep in our minds again to the passage here in Matthew 16, 18. I will tell you you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now keep that in mind. Now think, can you think of any other place where Jesus used similar language? Where he talked about a foundation rock and building something. And some of you might be saying, Oh, yeah, there is that one place. There's Sermon on the Mount, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven. And Jesus is talking about his teaching, and and he says, how you respond to your teaching, one of two ways. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. We're building our lives on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. We're founded on the truth, who Jesus was. And it's not only that, but if we believe that Jesus Christ was God, then we're going to take what he says and we're going to say, okay, that's truth about life, and I'm going I'm to build my life on it. I'm, I'm going to act as if that's true. And when we do, what we find is we will build a life of security that stands even in the hardest, harshest of times. But if we don't, we might even affirm theologically, well, I believe he's true, but if we don't act as if it's true, if we don't act on his words as if they really are the foundation of truth, Then what do we do and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and was great was the fall of it you know we're building on the wrong foundation so it's not only the foundation of the church it's the foundation of our lives it's not only the foundation of our lives it's the foundation of, of our identity of our purpose Again, look at this whole passage again. You know, Jesus asks, who do you say I am? Simon responds, you are the Christ, the living, of the God. And, and, and Jesus says, okay, you got it right. And, and because you've got it right, I tell you you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's saying, because you got it right, you have a new name. And with that new name, you have a new purpose in life, a new, a new purpose for living. Now let me ask you a question. Was Peter the exception here? Was he the only one that when he confessed faith in Christ that Jesus said okay, now because of that faith you have a new name and a new purpose and that's exceptional? Or is that normal? Is that the case for all of us who make profession of faith in Christ? When we do this that Jesus does the same thing to us? Think about that for a minute. Well, let's, Scripture interpret Scripture. Let's look at what other passages in the Bible say. What does it say in in 2 Corinthians? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. What it's saying is that if we have faith in Christ, when we make that profession of faith in Christ, Jesus said, okay, this is who you were. This is who your past was, this was your name, but you now have a new identity, you have a new purpose. I'm now calling you, I've renamed you, now go live up to that purpose. Or take even, for example, look what it says in in Revelation chapter 2. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. That we have a new name. We don't fully understand that name until we're in heaven, but the fact is, you have a new name. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus said, okay, this is who you were. That's not who you are anymore. You have a new name. I've given you a new name, a new identity. Now live up to it. Live up to it. It's, it's not only a new name. You're, you're literally called to, in this new name to, to be able to come and say, now live up to this, and this is what it looks like to, to, you know, to have a new purpose in life, that you're living for a new purpose. Live up to that. And you might think, but, but I don't really have anything to offer. And again, I'm not a Peter. I'm not a stone. I'm just, I'm just a little fish. I get smashed by the stones and... But again, here's what you need to realize. It's not because of who we are, it's because of who Christ is. And even in this whole passage, he said, okay, yes, he does this for you, but then that, that same thing that changed your name is also the source and the foundation of hope and confidence that you, we could never have otherwise. Look at again. What does he say? And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this is, again, a commonly misread verse and here's why a lot of people will read this verse and they'll read it to be well god's going to establish the church and satan's going to attack us and what the promise is is that even when the church is attacked we're not going to be overcome we're not going to fall it's almost like this idea that you know we're you know we're going to kind of establish ourselves in the in the uh, in the citadel and, and we're going to get attacked and we're just going to hold on and we know that 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 until jesus comes back one day we get back and we're going to barely escape with our lives um, but we almost have this expectation that Satan's going to attack us, and the promise is defensive. Let's look at this passage again. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's one military weapon here, all right? We don't have to go in a whole lot of detail here. We know what the gates are. Okay, are gates offensive or defensive weapons? Do you attack with gates? No. They're defensive weapons. And who has gates? Hell. And look what he's saying here. He's not talking about Satan's inability to plunder you from his kingdom. He's saying, no, that you are now in power go plunder his kingdom. We're giving the offensive weapon to say, I'm going to establish my church and I want you to go move into the world. I want to go storm the gates of hell. And, and, and you know, Satan's most well defended strongholds are going to fall. And and it's not who we are. You know, we're like, I don't, Peter, well, again, we might be soft. We feel like we're nothing and we have nothing to offer. It's who Christ is. It's the foundation of who he is. The important thing is what we're built upon. It's the foundation of the true rock, the the Petra, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he gives us his call and he gives us his promise and says, if you do this, you're going to move forward. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get discouraged. I can look at what's happening in our culture and it seems like we have spiritual decline and we have attack on one thing after another and morally and spiritually we seem to be going downhill and then we look at all that is against us, you know, social media and media and all the power positions of power and politics and you ever feel like, man, we're just losing the battle? That all we have is to hold on? All right, let me remind you of something. When Jesus said this, was he facing a more uh, hostile culture than we are or a less hostile one was was it really friendly and he's saying okay this is really great no remember where he is when he says this he takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi at the edge of the Jewish border and he's looking out and they're seeing all these temples and here you have Caesar Augustus who's claiming to be God. That's political power. And here you have Pan and and then you have Zeus and you have all these temples and he's looking at all of this that defined a city and saying, you know what? You go storm the gates of hell and all that will not be able to stand. And they're like, well, who who do we have? They just got a dozen people. There's just a dozen uneducated people that are there and saying, Jesus, how are you going to do this? It seemed impossible, but you know what's happened? Today we have, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of churches that are meeting throughout, not only this country, throughout the world. We have flags up here because there's Christian testimony in all these places. We, you know, we come from all these different backgrounds that you say, how is it that I am a follower of Christ? God is working in a significant way that even if we look at things and it seems discouraging, the fact of the matter is there are more Christians in the world today than there has been in any time in human history. And the gospel is advancing in many parts of the world. And we're sitting there saying, this is the reality that we have here. And, and you know what? There's been opposition from the very beginning up until now. But you know what unites the fact of these millions of churches that are meeting, these hundreds of millions you know, you know Christians that are meeting today? Our foundation that we have a common foundation and that we profess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Lord. And because we have that common foundation, the church has moved forward, that he has, God has built the church in spite of all the opposition. And so in the middle of this, when we look at this and we might be tempted to get discouraged and, and, and it might, you know, we don't understand what God is doing, we need to realize that we are built on the true rock and because of that, the gates of hell will not be able to hold us back. Are there times that we feel like the opposition is bigger than we are? Yes, think First John. Little children, you are from God and overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. It's not who we are. I'm just a little fish. little fish gets whooshed. It's not who I am. It's who he is. I love the promise of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. That's what God does. Do I always see it? No. Do I always understand it? No. Does it often seem discouraging? Yes. And I will get discouraged if I look at all the opposition, if I look at all the temples that are out there. But if I look at the foundation and I look at the promise of Jesus Christ and I really believe if that's who he really is and then he promises and I will build my church and the church will move forward, and it will, we will not always look like we're advancing, but the gates of hell will not be able to prevail. And it may be one person at a time, one of us going and sharing our faith with one person and celebrating that and, and a small group going into the public schools and sharing with the kids there and building relationships with friends or neighbor and seeing one family changed at a time. But the fact is that God has said, I am going to build the church and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. And so just in closing, a couple questions to ask. The first one that we have to ask is this, who do you say that Jesus is? Not what do other people say. It's not even what you think about him. Who is he to you? Who is he to you? Is he truly Messiah, God, somebody that you've asked for the, you know, for the forgiveness of sins that you follow after? For some it might be, oh, he's a good person. I really, you know, again, you can't hold that he's a good person. It makes no sense. And the question is, are you going to embrace him for who he is and say, today I make that decision. Today my life hinges on the fact that I declare that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of God, that he is the one that has come to die for my sins. And today he is my savior, my Lord. And it might be as simple as just even where you're praying there just to pray, God, I, I agree with you. I'm a sinner, I, I, I need you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me through Jesus Christ. I wanna be your, I wanna be your follower. Forgive me and help me know what it means to follow after you. Today may be the day that you proclaim that. Who do you say that Jesus is? And then if you say that he is Lord, then what does that mean? How is he changing your identity and your purpose? Because what you see here is Peter says it and he says, okay, that's great. Now, Peter, you know, you were Simon, you are Peter, you have a new identity, you have a new purpose. Now now go out and represent me and the gates of hell will not be able to stand up against the advance." And the fact of the matter is, as we've seen, what we see with Peter isn't the exception, it's just an illustration of the norm. And that every one of us here, if today you're saying, yes, I have professed faith in Christ, then Jesus is coming to you and saying, now you have a new identity. The old you has passed away, the old purpose has passed away. You're not only saved from your sins, you're saved for a purpose, now go and represent me. Live into who you are. Not into who you were, live into who you are. And yes, it's going to get discouraging, but then go back to the foundation and remember who Christ is. Because it's in that foundation that we are a, a new creation. That our, our, our name, literally, our, our purpose, our identity, our, the purpose of life is changed. And when you get discouraged, remember, it's only because of what we can see. We realize that we're moving forward, and one person at a time, God is still working, and he's still building his church in a way that even the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. So take hope, take courage, believe his word. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, community church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life slash connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.